to the Burn the Boats podcast, where we interview people pursuing their passion in the moment of full commitment. Here's your host, Matt Sodnikar. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Matt Sodnikar, with The Warm Front and other entrepreneurial ventures. I'm here today, the uh, first podcast after the time change with Kristen Carpenter Ogden. She's with Verde Brand Communications based in Durango. Hello, Kristen. Thanks for being on with today. I'm so stoked to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my first question, and uh, I want to know the difference between marketing and PR. So if you take me down that road a little bit, and then we can kind of get into um, the whole point of this podcast after you're done enlightening me. Okay. That's, that's definitely a kind of a broad, almost loaded question, but I'm going to just cannonball into the deep end with you. Um, if you were to have asked me last year, I would have given you a slightly different answer, maybe even more than slightly different, but marketing and PR, um, are really merging more and more. And I think the way that I would describe it is, uh, you know, public relations for a brand and business is truly what it's, what the, you know, acronym stands for is relating with your publics. But the way you do that effectively, especially in the passion industries that Verde serves, um, is effectively through narrate, you know, narrative, narrative storytelling and creating bridges to audiences. And that's where it really crosses into marketing. So we're, I think gas on the fire in marketing, if you will. Um, some people, including myself, consider public relations to be almost a channel in and of itself, um, you know, in terms of an engagement lever for marketing. But I really do feel like um, more and more with what we do in public relations, we essentially are helping our brands get closer to their target and consumer. We always have. And so we're a tool for businesses to become more consumer centric. And that's what marketing is. It's marketing is about engaging and building audiences and then being remarkable to those audiences. And so I feel like more and more they're becoming, the line is getting more blurred, but at the same time, um, usually again, within the brands that we serve, the marketing directors wear like 75,000 hats internally. And <laughs> we take on about, you know, 50 of those hats and, and help them around like what their goals are. And those goals are now changing multiple times a month. There's no more set and forget with like an annual retainer. Those days are long over. So hopefully that helps clarify. <laughs> it does. It does. And I, I just wrote down a question and I want to sort of get to the, the heart of the podcast. And I want to come back to that question talking about, um, you know, the, the narrative. And uh, the reason I started this podcast is that I would read articles in Inc or Fast Company, and they would talk about companies and their early days. And they'd also talk about the struggles. And to me, that seemed like too short of a description. There wasn't enough storytelling there. And as a entrepreneur myself, that was what either made my goal so far away or closer, like hearing people that struggled or they still struggle and how they got through that. And so those are the conversations that I like having with people. It's like, tell me what scared or scares you. Tell me how close you got to quitting or if you quit, 
So that's why um, the title burn the boats comes from that. So I don't know if it's the Vikings or who coined that term, but like we're going to invade and we're either going to win or we're going to die because we've got no way out of here. And, you know, sometimes it's just a decision to do one more day, one more call, one more hour, or just sort of facing that fear. And so that's the, the context that I, I just so much enjoy talking to people. And then my question, you mentioned the narrative is that do you find that if you hit that nerve and customers really like that narrative that they're customers longer or for life? That's such a good question. So do you want me to uh, address the burn the boats like that topic or really kind of finish up on this marketing component there? Cause I, I'm happy to do either. Let's talk about the, the, um, the marketing question first. And then I want to find out okay. what keeps you up at night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds great. And um, okay. So I think today's success is it's a circle. We want to keep them coming back. Right. So um, you don't look at it as a linear relationship anymore where they discover you, you are remarkable to them and engage with them through content or newsletters or whatever it is. And then they buy from you. Um, that obviously is, is the start of it, but we want to keep them going around and around that circle. So we have to keep being iterative in our approaches. We have to constantly be testing and jockeying and be nimble. And that's actually one of the toughest things um, because we can be super nimble, but every client that we work with um, has a different org internally and battles their own legacy and, and budgets and, and processes internally. And there's a lot of siloed thinking within brands that um, really does impede the process of making that uh, consumer decision journey circular and mm -hmm. not linear. So um, I think it's a really, really good question, but the ideal answer and the one that we're always striving for, and I think it ties into the burn the boats um, mantra, if you will, is there really is never a time of rest now. And it's all about testing, uh, trial and error, being willing to fail, working with clients that see that as a mark of strength and not a mark of failure. And ultimately building people who are wearing your brand as a part of their identity. And in our markets, that's one of the most gratifying things is like our brands help define people's identities in their personal life. And so it's, it's an honor to get to serve those end consumers in that regard. That's really cool. And I'm thinking about brands that evoke that um, emotion, if you will, in my, in my life. So that, that's, that's cool to talk about. So mm -hmm. and I do have a question about that, but what scares you? What, 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 what keeps you up at night? Like talk about some of the challenges, you know, people that are starting their own businesses, like what has just freaked you out? Okay. Well, I think that I, it's important for me to kind of qualify myself to your audience. Um, I, I, you know, I have a, a background in the community of climbing and in climbing and in that culture, there is a, there's a mark of proudness around suffering. Okay. Mm. And I have to say the same is true as I've um, explored competitive cycling more so. And just, I've been an athlete my whole life and grown up with brothers um, I have, you know, three brothers and then I also have a stepbrother and a stepsister, but I have three brothers that are all over six foot seven. 
and they, that was it. Like me and the three ginormous brothers, like growing up. And I think that that created a little bit of a iron will that my, many people may not, you know, relate with that well, but I do actually find a beauty in always continuing to find progress. And so Mm. some people might say that's a really fancy way of being a perfectionist or a type A weirdo. And that's probably true. (laughs) But I feel like what's helped me be a successful entrepreneur and I'm, you know, I would, again, I work all the time to be able to say that about myself because you're really only as successful as like your last quarter. (laughs) Right. Right. But I will tell you that, um, I think for me, there's a a sense of depth and joy that I get out of constantly trying to improve. And it's for our clients. It's also for my people who work with me at Verde. We have very longstanding employees that I feel so proud to work with. And I want to uh, do right by them, frankly, because they've brought the business to such an amazing place. And um, you asked me in our pre-interview about, you know, talk to me about the early days and how you kind of battled your way through the mental demons. Um, they're still here, especially in grand <laughs> They They don't leave. I mean, literally, especially this time of year. So we're in Q4 as we're recording this. Um, this is the time of year where people are literally trying to make a plan for next year uh, using a lot of things that they've used continually grandfathered in budgets and resources and processes to build and scale a completely different business. So I would say right now feels just as airy as it did back when I started the business 17 years ago. Absolutely. Hmm. Like there is, it's still a startup. And I would have said that last year because we knew that there was a lot of change in the horizon. So many of our brands are um, from wholesale and mono channel, but they're all trying to get closer to their end consumer today. Um, and that's something they used to hand over to their retailers and their reps and, you know, trade shows help to facilitate. Here's how you're going to tell the story to that end consumer. And today the brands that do it really well, where they connect and engage and build a relationship with their own end consumer. When they do that, I think in a really remarkable way, it rises, it raises the level of the ocean for all the boats, whether that's a retailer or selling through Shopify or, you know, like it, it just doesn't matter when the brand, the mothership does that really well, then it works for everyone. And a lot of our brands are, I call that the gap jump and they're, you know, over 30 brands that we support and they're all in a different place in that gap jump. So try sleeping with that. It doesn't work that well. <laughs> It's Absolutely. not like every night's a Tylenol, a Tylenol PM night, but there are many Tylenol PM nights in my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, a couple, of, uh, a couple of shots of bullet bourbon on top of that, you know. And again, we're not advocating yes. mixing narcotics, people, but, you know, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm not a real doctor. So. I just play one. Um, <laughs> so... I had a, a brief stint in the professional development arena. So I sold like communication skills, programs, things like that. And when you talk about a brand that has figured this out and their image becomes their customer's identity, how much of that do you think is the culture of that company? Like being legitimate or being truthful, being honest, because I'm guessing you could have the best message in the world And if the company is run by just a bunch of shady people, that that would be exposed eventually. 
So how much does culture play a part in all that? Such a great question. Um, I, I think, in, and you know what, we are very blessed in, in the outdoor bikes, snow sports, endurance, you know, in travel markets and even health and wellness, like the markets Verde operates in because I think that, um, like, let's just take climbing again as an example. There are so many micro tribes within climbing. You could never just put out like a climbing shoe for a generalist. I mean, we do have those and it's called like the sub 100 price point rock gym shoe, right? right. <laughs> it's, it's designed to be the gateway drug. And then once you get into climbing and you find the people that you relate with the most, then you start migrating to getting something that fits bouldering better or something that fits trad better. And I feel like just by our nature and cycling is the same way. Like there's tribes within cycling and Um, when a company is successfully founded and just, you know, literally sells products out of the back of their car that they made in their garage for their friends to try that like the same things they do or love the same things they do is completely just pure. And those are like some of the hardest years, but some of the most impactful in terms of shaping that brand. Right. And mm-hmm. then as they grow, some, sometimes they're, you know, maybe they get bought, maybe they have enough to hire a COO when they start looking at um, taking away what made the brand special in the first place to save money and improve, you know, profit margin, et cetera. And that's when the trouble starts happening. And, and I've seen companies that have gone through multiple ownership changes, but they've kept a few individuals that have really kept them on track. And they are able to grow and still be really um, elastic in terms of like the people who first found them and fell in love still are in love with them, even though they've gone through a lot of that, the the consumers shouldn't see that. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens is I think is if they, today it's more visible than ever, because if you make decisions for profit first, um, such as maybe putting something up, um, at a different price point on Amazon because you get greedy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. your consumers see that and your consumers will see that and they may not, um, that's an inconsistency and it's like a ding in your trust for them, right? Um, Another thing about this is in our markets, a lot of our um, end consumers have grown up or always trusted their local gear shop, bike shop, you name it, right? And if um, those shops go away and those, um, people that work at those retailers, you know, tell their end consumers in their communities why they're going away. Oh, well, you know, the brand decided to sell on Amazon or the brand isn't prioritizing us anymore. That really will affect your brand today because those people actually have a lot of reach online. So you really do have to put your consumer first as you're making these decisions. And really the baseline on that is having a very consistent brand presence across all the places that you can be discovered and engaged with and, and you know, where I can buy from your brand. And the, the pricing needs to be similar. And, you know, the messaging has to be similar and the look and feel has to be similar because ultimately the consumers already on multiple channels. And now the brands are trying to play catch up on that front, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think honestly, as the brand, as they continue to grow, they just have to be super mindful of where their end consumers are. And I think working events, if you're in-house at a brand, working a consumer event, doing a lot of surveying, and then really, really studying intelligent marketing tools that give you information like, you know, um, email marketing services that enable you to see, you know, what was this person looking at before they joined your list? Those exist now. Like there's all kinds of ways to find out what you're doing well and what's working for your end consumers and what isn't 
So I feel like if brands get into trouble with that today, it's almost that they're just lazy or they're just trying to put profit first and they're going to lose either way with either of those choices. You know, the, the winners are going to stay super close to that targeting consumer. Right. Well, I experienced that on, on two fronts in my, in my, uh, professional life. Cause I had, you talk about selling stuff out of the back of your car. I still do that to some extent with the warm front. It was just this idea I had and I got scared when people actually liked it. I was like, what the hell do I do now? And then <laughs> with, and with, uh, with BH bikes, the brand manager for that, we have a really compelling story. And if I could tell everybody looking for a bike, this amazing story about the brand and the history, it'd be easy, but you get so insulated between the people that can tell the story and the end consumer. And then it's the social media, the print ads, things like that. So, so many layers of abstraction and distance and things like that. Like I, I struggle with that on a daily basis. So when I see companies and people like you that do it effectively, I'm very envious and we'll be talking about this after this podcast for sure about <laughs> you, uh, you, got it. you helping us, <laughs> but yeah, it's such a challenge because I'm, I'm good on email. I'm better on the phone I'm perfect. Not perfect, but I'm, that's my medium is talking one-on-one -on -one or talking with a group of people about something, but you can't do that as a company to everybody. And so I just, sometimes look out the window and go, geez, how do we say this and get it you across? You can actually. Well, cool. It's called, uh, <laughs> it's called live streaming or live casting. All right. So yeah, you can actually, if you feel like you're the appropriate face for your brand, you can definitely like do a Facebook live and talk to a lot of them at that time. And then if they don't, if they don't happen to be on the platform at the time, they can see it on YouTube later. It's super effective right now. And Facebook is dumping money behind it because they're trying to basically make it something we get so addicted to that we have to buy in about six months or sooner. But okay. yeah, that's something that you can try and people love it. They eat it up. Your, your audience. Excellent. Thanks for the tip. I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> Can't help myself. <laughs> the, the, the check is in the mail, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, oh, let's start at the beginning. How did you get into PR and the firm? How did you start it 17 years ago? What, what, what a great like question. Well, I, I've always, you know, I was a journalist for 10 years before I founded Verde mm. and I worked with every single PR company in existence at the time because I was just hauling ass as a freelance writer and also was on staff at Shape Magazine and at the time Outdoor Retailer had a super fancy glossy magazine and then I just freelanced around that. So I, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of agencies and sole practitioner PR people and I got to be honest with you, Matt, I was having the time of my life as a journalist. Like it was during just the golden era. Uh, you got the story and usually the answer was yes, if you were proven, you know, you were reliable and did good work. And I was traveling all over the world, you know, doing amazing stories, visiting gear factories. Like it was really a special time. And then all of a sudden my husband and I, um, found out we were pregnant with Mr. Tobin Ogden. And so he's about to turn 16. Wow. So just to give you a little time frame there. And um, at the time I was like, Jared was a big wall climber for the North Face. 
and he would go on expeditions with like Mark, Mark Sinnott and Alex Lowe and um, Greg Childs. And then he, you know, he worked with Mammoth a little bit, but mostly it was for the North Face for about 10 or 11 years. And we looked at each other and I said, well, one of us has to deal. And he just kind of looked at me like, yeah, that's going to be you. <laughs> <laughs> Not and it. I was like, uh, and meeting like one of us had to kind of rein it in and not travel. And so I was like, you know, he's right. I mean, obviously I'm the mom. I kind of had to do that. And so I figured I would um, investigate PR. Uh, interestingly enough, I started kind of nosing around and looking at it and uh, what, do I, you know, what do I know about this? It turned out that I kind of had I'd done a lot of market research without even realizing it. And I just decided, all right, well, I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to build like the most kick-ass approach that I would have wanted to have had if I was, you know, when I was a journalist. And so right out of the gate, I was, you know, doing, I would do like these fancy pedicure, like poolside pedicure product demonstrations at trade shows. And we even did our first male editor event at Hooters in Salt Lake City. <laughs> did you know there was a Hooters there? <laughs> So, I'm going to resist note, the I, obvious I, uh, comment about what they wear in Salt Lake City at <laughs> Hooters. I'm not going to go down that road. Oh my gosh. Um, they, well, yeah, let's not go there. But <laughs> interestingly, I, I invited, I think, 12 media. And of course, I, you know, extended an invitation to my clients to attend. Um, we had like almost 50 people show up, like people nice. who were, and it was, it was just raining cats and dogs that night, not snowing, mind you. But I remember we didn't have enough, like I didn't rent enough vans to bring people to Hooters, which I know is a mark of success. But, you know, I just, I have a sense of humor. I wanted to make it fun and I wanted to make it an experience. And I was like, this would be kind of all time. I'm going to try this. And so that's kind of how the company started is like everything that we could do to like just blow doors and make it like a fun experience and anticipate the needs of media uh, and really help our clients understand how to leverage media and just do a kick-ass job to get them what they need to write about them, not only correctly, but be excited about what they're launching. Like that was all stuff that kind of came from my journalism background. So, you know, we've, we've grown a lot over that time and I have faced a lot of the same things I was just talking about with brands growing. I mean, we have to stay extremely close to our um, stakeholders on the media and now influencer side and the clients, especially, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot that we have to manage as we grow to make sure that we're still providing that um, media centric approach and influencer centric approach that I think we're known for. Well, and I like how so you... So that's how I got started. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I may be in uh, Salt Lake next month, so I'll have to stop by that Hooters and I'll, I'll shoot you a selfie. Yeah, swing by. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the beanie that I bought that night. And it's funny, the other day, my daughter actually walked out wearing it. And I was like, no, you don't even know what that is. Here in Durango, we don't have a Hooters. And I was like, you know, you don't have you're not going to wear that to school. No way. <laughs> so, Give me a call from now, the principal. <laughs> exactly. And we actually have, you know, we have our, we were founded here in Durango, but our main office is in Boulder now. So we have a small office here and there's three of us who work down here. The balance of our employees are in Boulder. And then we have five people up in Jackson hole. I had bought a company up in Jackson in 2010 and merged it with Verde. Congratulations. Yeah, it was fun. Well, what I liked about your story about going to the Hooters, or sorry, is that uh, you had intent. You, you 
wrote out what you wanted it to look like. You may not have known the direction or the path or how to get there, but you knew what you wanted it to look like. And I don't want to overstate it, but it sounds like you were starting to exert your will on the situation, which yeah, I've read a lot of books about yeah, uh, optimism and things like that. And if you have some degree of control or perceived control over your situation, you're going to feel a lot healthier and just feel better about that. So I was impressed that you're like, I'm going to make it look like this. Yeah. And I, I gotta be honest, like I had an intent to create something memorable and I think I did a quick site visit on my way into the hotel on my way into Salt Lake. But honestly, I really didn't know aside from knowing that we would have all the product there and everything for the media that was planned, you know, everything was set up, but there, that feeling of like, what if no one comes to my party? I always had that <laughs> feeling and you know, you kind of carry it around and then also getting there, you kind of like, you're like, Oh shit, what's really going to happen here? Like all these people are here and they want to <laughs> see these product demonstrations at Hooters. And we had like publishers showing up with their editors. It was hilarious. I think they were just like, how could this possibly be happening? Right. Um, that just goes to show you that there's, you can do some interesting things on a small budget that are disruptive and really kind of shake it up and you could really make your mark that way. You know? Then there's always booze. <laughs> and booze. Yeah, but it was three, two. It was just the kind of booze that makes you like puffy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yeah. I experienced that at outdoor retailer a couple of years. It's like, I've had gallons of this stuff. Why am I still walking straight? Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Utah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love Utah, by the way. But man, they got to step up their beer game for sure. Yes, they do. Well, now we're in uh, Colorado for the shows, so that's not a problem anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So what's the, one of the questions I usually ask everybody is what's the best piece of advice you've followed or the best piece of advice you've ignored that has had an impact on what's got you to this point? Well, you know, I was actually thinking about this when we had our quick um, call before we went on record. You said something about like, talk with us about, you know, the times that you thought that you would quit. And I think that um, there are many, many books available now where you actually are being advised by seasoned entrepreneurs, if you're doing a startup, to really see if there's product market fit and to make sure the idea is good before you run with it, right? And um, I'm not saying to ignore that because that's really, you know, important advice, but that's something that I did not even have in me anywhere. Like it was literally like, I love the burn the boats mantra. Like that was it. Like I knew that I wanted to make this work and there was an element of, I have to make this work, but it wasn't like I have to do. It was like, I get to do it. I felt like I had this like canvas that I got to create with some fantastic people clients, media, and, you know, just the employees of Verde, like, um, and I think that this remains this day, like it's never been an option for me to quit. Maybe, um, reinvent, maybe change course. Mm. Um, I don't ignore, you know, I don't ignore the feedback and I definitely survey the crap out of our clients. Um, 
and I'm always staying close to them and into media to figure out what people need and what to keep on the horizon. But quitting never, like that's never been an option for me. And, and I'm not sure if that's healthy or not, but I think that's important. Just keep on keeping on. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I remember an interview I saw with, you uh, two and, um, Bono said that the, the lowest expectation of you as a rock star is to simply set yourself on fire on stage. And he was talking about this concept about just do it a little bit better than what's expected. Just keep going. It, of course, you could fold your business after a year and quit. And of course, well, who would blame you, right? But if you just figure it out and you keep chugging along and it might be ugly, it might be frustrating, it may not be what you want, but if you just keep one more day exceeding those expectations and just trying, you know, you're going to be different in this world. I think that's actually really true. And when I was a freelance writer, I can remember sitting down with Dwayne Raleigh. He was one of the first magazine editors who hired me to work for him. And he was with um, Climbing Magazine at the time. And now he owns Rock and Ice. And I can remember him, you know, I drove up to meet with him in Carbondale and I presented some ideas to him and he was like, I can already tell you're going to be great because you didn't file a story to me on a napkin. You know what I mean? Like that he got some just crazy stuff, like people filing things on paper plates from the Valley, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) so like it was a pretty low expectation. And I have to honest with you, Matt, like as a journalist, I noticed that a lot of the freelancers were not really providing a high bar. And when you showed up and did quality work and exceeded expectations, filed stuff early, filed it clean, went out of your way to make sure everything was cited properly. Like all the stuff that just makes people pissed that they have to do, you get more work. And I think that's something that was a little bit of like a, you know, how you train a dog and you give them a treat. Like that was how I got trained. I think (laughs) (laughs) with a bit of my work ethic, I don't know, but you're absolutely right though. And I actually get like a charge out of exceeding expectations. I really do. I've always been a giver that way. Well, if you make it easy for the other person and put yourself in their shoes and try to have some insight into how they do their job and you remove so many obstacles for them to work with you that I think either consciously or subconsciously, they're going to go, I'm getting something flight ready from Kristen. I typically don't even need to proofread this. I can just send it in. Yeah, then of course, because anybody that makes more work for somebody else, I know I avoid those people. You know, somebody that sends me, I call them story problems. They're asking for this, that, and the other, and it's vague, and I got to spend time to try to figure this out. And I just look at it and go, dude, I just, no, I can't even figure this out. But the person that says, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I got, this is what I need, here's what you're going to get, boom, 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 help me make the decision. Good. Let's go. Let's do it. Exactly. And I hire people like that too. I mean, um, the people who do like different screening mechanisms within Verde, we know what to look for on that front. And it's, you know, there's a certain type of we hire that has that same fire under their butt. You know what I mean? So you're absolutely right. That's a super critical point, I think, to share with your audience. Cool. Well, I know we're coming up. You've got to get to parent-teacher conference for um, <laughs> math issues. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, uh. 
I love, I love guests like you, Kristen, because I feel like this could go on for hours and I'd like to extend an offer that you become one of our, our regulars because there's, I've got a list of questions that I just didn't have time to get to, but I would love to continue this on a regular basis. It's just, it's entertaining and it's fun. And I think there's so much more to explore for people that are out there in the world, giving it a go. Oh, I'd be happy to. And I love podcasting. So um, the more I can do of it, the happier I am. It's how I still pretend to be a journalist in case you guys haven't figured that out. Excellent. Well, maybe you can interview <laughs> me a little bit, but it's great. So, um, and I'll be in Durango at some point this summer. So we'll sit down and uh, do it over some decent Colorado beer. Or maybe do a ride first. Okay. <laughs> I'm in the bike industry. If I'm riding my bike, I'm not doing my job. So, but yeah, I would love right. to. I would love to. <laughs> well, Kristen, tell everybody where they can find you so that you can turn their business around and make it successful. Where can they find you? Oh, that's so nice. Um, well, I am at, well, VerdePR.com is where you can find me at Verde Brand Communications. And my, uh, I guess the, I'll say my Twitter handle is KCO at KCO Strategy. Um, I'm at Kristen Carpenter Ogden on LinkedIn. I'm pretty frequent on both those channels. Um, as And then there's also Verde Strategy, which I launched in January of 2017. So this, or, or, you know, earlier this year. And that's where I do the Channel Mastery podcast from. And that's on iTunes and everything, but you can learn more about that at verdestrategy.co. And that company is actually a consulting company. So if you are, you know, making that gap jump yourself between maybe your first few channels and going multi-channel or omni-channel and you need some help, um, that's what we do. And I'm super, super stoked on that work. It's like literally, it just gets me out of bed in the morning and the podcast, I'm just learning so much. I mean, it's changing so fast. So just know that I'm, that's what I, it's really lighting me up right now is, is the work that we're doing there and then bringing it back to help the client roster at Verity Brand Communications. Wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. And uh, I'll hit end on the recording. We'll wrap up a second and we'll let you get to school. So everybody, Kristen Carpenter Ogden, I'm Matt Sodnikar. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Burn the Boats is brought to you by The Warm Front, the most unique product in outdoor thermal apparel. Visit us online at thewarmfront.com. Pursuing your passion? We'd love to talk. Email us at podcast at thewarmfront.com. We'll see you next week.